This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good morning, Bucknutters. Welcome to the Bucknuts Morning 5 here on Wednesday, March 16th, 2022. I am Dave Biddle. I am joined by Matt Baxendale. Bax is en route to his engineering gig, his his real job, uh, as we call it. Uh, he moonlights for us here at Bucknuts. Um, so he uh, is not on video. We'll try to get Bax on video next week, but we're happy to have Bax on the show. A lot to get into. Um, we have questions from Bucknuts subscribers that we're going to get into. I put a Thread on the front row message board last night. We've got some great questions to get into. All right. First one, Mr. Baxendale. This comes from BAJ762021. Will Urban Meyer ever coach again? I mean, I said no to this when he quit at OSU, and then he inexplicably went to the NFL where everything he does well was minimized and everything he does wrong was maximized. So uh, I'm assuming he's going to try to take another job somewhere. Uh, if Shelly has anything to say about it, the answer will be no. But as you've seen with some of these guys, they just can't stop, can't stopping, if you will. So <laughs> I, I think somewhere we're going to see him do it. But should he? No. Just, 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 just stop where you're at. You won three national championships. You coached at a bunch of, bunch of major schools. You learned that you probably shouldn't own a restaurant. It's fine. All right? Just settle into – you know, emeritus statesman TV broadcasting guy who makes a lot of money for the next 20 years. Don't coach anymore, Urban. Yeah, I mean, I agree. With, I, th- I think he will coach again. I don't think he wants to go out like that. I mean, he's very, you know, first of all, he's a legend. There's no doubt about that, you know. Um, no question. National championships. He's an absolute legend. Um, he doesn't want to go out like that, you know, the way things ended at Jacksonville. Um, I have a Strong suspicion he will coach again. I don't think it'll be necessarily anytime soon, but I do think you'll see Urban Meyer have one more coaching gig at some point. It will be on the collegiate level. All right, next question is from Peebles Buck. He wants to know, Bax, the difference between rugby-style tackling and regular tackling. We talk about that a lot. Basically, you know, and you can give your thoughts on this as well. Basically, they used to teach it, you know, head over the bow, head over the bow, head over the bow. They're trying to take the head out of it. And rugby-style tackling is not only safer, it's more effective, in my opinion. Um, you're more of a sure tackler. You're not, you're not going for big hits. It's more wrap and roll. Wrap yep. and roll. Um, so that's the main difference I see between rugby-style tackling and what we would refer to as traditional tackling. And I will add this. When Chris Ash brought that in 2014, Buckeyes won the national championship, and they had the least amount of missed tackles in the country that year. Uh, just your thoughts on the differences between rugby-style tackling and traditional tackling so there's a couple things to keep in mind one that long touchdown run ohio state gave up in the rose bowl where 
the Utah quarterback essentially disappeared into the pile and then reappeared and ran untouched for about 40 yards into the end zone. Doesn't happen if you're employing rugby-style tackling because you get rid of the whole, yeah, I'm going to make a big hit now, bro. I'm going to put my shoulder into him. Woo! No, wrap up. Get the guy with your head ahead of the ball. Get your arms wrapped up, both arms. Make sure that your center of weight is ahead of the tackler, and then you put your weight to leverage him down. It's not as, like, big hit, woo, let me flex kind of thing, but it's more effective, right? And you're, yeah, okay, when two men run hard and hit the same spot, somebody's going to lose usually. But whenever that you're tracking somebody down at an angle, it makes people take smarter angles, and it lets guys get away less easily. And the most important thing with tackling that a lot of these guys, for whatever reason, don't grasp quickly is the most important thing you can do in a tackling situation isn't necessarily be the final guy to make the tackle. It's to slow the guy down enough to be able to have everybody else swarm him. And when you're rugby-style tackling, it means you get your hands on the guy. It means you slow his momentum. It means you're trying to get him to the ground. But more importantly, you're doggedly hanging on. And that's when the, the cavalry comes and takes him down. So it's just smarter tackling. Is it less big hits? Yes. Is it less you know, flexing highlights? Probably. But it also results in less stupid plays that get first downs when you get a guy nine yards behind the line of scrimmage and everybody assumes he's going to go down and stops playing. It's a pursuit mentality that comes along with rugby tech technique. And I'm much happier to see this back than maybe anything else that's going to change about the defense. Yep, absolutely. Next question comes from AC Eagle. He wants to know the career aspirations for the two new defensive backs coach at Ohio State, Tim Walton and Perry Eliano. Like, do they want to be coordinators? Do they want to be head coaches? I mean, Tim Walton's been a uh, defensive coordinator both on the collegiate level and the NFL level. I I'm sure, Bax, the answer, the answer to that question is yes for both men. They, they probably don't want to just be position coaches for the rest of their career. But I also don't think they're going to be like one and done at Ohio State. Uh, your thoughts on career aspirations for both Tim Walton and Perry Eliano? I think people are getting spoiled by Brian Hartline to even ask such a silly question. There's no such thing as stupid questions, but let's be honest here. We need to know what people's motivations are, and it's usually money and career growth more than anything else. Look, Brian Hartline came here, and he just offered to help out because he wanted to help out. He's been an amazing assistant coach for OSU. He's going to start having more promotions, but he hasn't been sitting there agitating for an increased role like most people in his position would because of the fact that he's a multimillionaire from the NFL. I am certain Walton and Eliano would love to run their own programs, not just because, like all good coaches, they already know probably what they would do in a lot of these situations if put in charge of something. But second of all, it's a lot more lucrative. So I'm sure these guys want to run their own program. They want to move up the ladder. Most, most of these coaches don't. Then it means they're usually lazier recruiters. It means they're not usually learning newer techniques. That means they're probably not the right guys to have. At a place like OSU, you want your coaches to move up, right? You're only going to have them for a year or two or three at most. I also think, though, you're right that both these guys don't strike me as one-and-done types. I don't think we're going to see a situation with our new defensive staff like we saw with Jeff Halfley where, you know, it was a one-year supernova of excellence and boom, he's gone. But I do think that these guys eventually are going to try to put themselves in position to move up the ladder. That's just how it works. and. Uh, I think, again, a lot of people have looked at Brian Hartline not changing over a couple of years here and are assuming, oh, yeah, look at all these great coaches that love being at OSU. 
Hartline's the exception, guys, and he's going to have to move up eventually here, too. You already saw it this year with him getting a small promotion. That's just the way it works. So, yeah, both of them are going to want their own program eventually. They're not lifers. They're not going to be Fred Jackson at Michigan for 25 years coaching running backs. Next question comes from Badass Buckeye. Bad A.S. Not double S. Bad A.S. Buckeye. He says we don't like he says we don't like saying his name. He says we can call him Buddy, but we'll go with his, his screen name, Badass Buckeye, a.k.a. Buddy. Basketball question. He, he's a little perturbed backs that E.J. Liddell was third-team All-American, not second-team. I thought E.J. would probably be second-team All-American. I thought he was probably right on the cusp there of second-team, third-team. I'm not that bothered by it. At least he's third-team. He was honorable mention last year, two-time, first-team All-Big Ten. Now he's a second-team AP All-American, or excuse me, third-team AP All-American. Your thoughts on E.J. Liddell? You think he got snubbed there? I don't think E.J. Liddell particularly cares. Uh, we're talking about second, as in the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. I want the Buckeyes to still be playing. I'm pretty sure that's much more what E.J. Liddell is concerned about than whether he's second or third-team All-American. Objectively, yeah, I would probably have him higher. He's a wooden award candidate, and I don't know about third-team being the correct spot for him, but at the end of the day, Liddell came back to develop for another year, and he came back after a horrible end of last season where they blew out of the first round of the tournament in shockingly bad fashion. So if he's talking about second anything, like I said, it's the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. Let's see this team win a couple games in this tournament. Let's see them beat Loyola Chicago and Sister Jean. May heaven have blessings upon her in her wonderful centenagerian ways. Right? Like, the end of the day – E.J. Liddell is going to move on to the NBA next year in all likelihood. I don't know how high of a pick he's going to be, but he had a great year. But at the end of the day, it's about what the team does in the tournament, not what the individual first team, second team, third team, eighth team All-American people end up on at this point with the Hoops team. Next questions, plural, come from Stony Rock. Stony Rock. We'll give the first one to you, my uh, Steeler uh, fan friend. He wants to know if the Steelers have mishandled Dwayne Haskins and just your thoughts on the Dwayne Haskins situation in Pittsburgh. I don't want to hear anybody ever say Dwayne Haskins was mishandled again, right? The Redskins drafted him in the first round and started him for a year and a half. Just because he didn't have a coach that particularly liked him, right? Everybody's like, oh, well, Dwayne Haskins was mishandled. The Haskins situation's been mishandled. Look, Dwayne's going to play or not. It's a results league, right? It's that simple. They want results. Pittsburgh's paying him $2.5 million this year to be the backup to Mitch Trubisky in all likelihood. So I don't think that's mishandling. I think that's them developing a guy. Well, was he supposed to start over Ben Roethlisberger last year? Come on. And are the Steelers dumb enough to go into a season with Mason Rudolph, who sucks, and Dwayne Haskins, who is unproven at best at the NFL level, as their two quarterback options? Come on. Let's be real here. Uh, I think Trubisky coming in is a guy that they think has done more at the NFL level, was a higher pick than Haskins. Yeah, Pittsburgh is reclamation hue when it comes to quarterbacks right now with Trubisky and Haskins in the same room, but I don't think he's been mishandled at all. And I, I don't know if Dwayne's mature enough to be an NFL quarterback in terms of the preparation. None of this takes away from the fact, by the way, Dwayne Haskins had one of the greatest individual seasons in OSU history the one year he started. Nothing takes away from the fact that that team should have been seven and six or eight and five at best with how terrible that defense was 
and Dwayne Haskins is the number one shining reason that they won the Rose Bowl. He was also the right choice to pick that year over Joe Burrow. Because if you look at the stats of the two of them side by side that year, you can't argue that Haskins had the greatest offensive season in Big Ten history. So let's let's chill about all these Haskins mishandling questions that people have. Dwayne can stand on his own two feet in the NFL and make it or not make it based on his own merits and his own work ethic. And at the same time, he's a guy who had one of the best seasons in the history of Ohio State football. Both those things can be true at the same time. I'll tell you what, I was worried you guys, I was worried you guys were going to get Deshaun Watson. I thought you might trade for Deshaun Watson. So when I saw it was Mitch Trubisky uh, instead of Deshaun Watson, I was like, you go, Pittsburgh. Good move there. I like that. Now the Browns, the Browns were in on Deshaun Watson, though. I don't like that, being a Bengals fan. That'd be great for all the, all the Browns fans out there watching. I'm sure you would, and listening to the podcast after we're, uh, we go live, we'll post the regular podcast as usual. Uh, here the Browns were in on Deshaun Watson. I still can't believe a few years ago when he fell to them at 12, they didn't take him. They traded the pick away, got extra picks to get guys like Jabril Peppers, and they passed on Deshaun Watson. And now the Browns, maybe, uh, maybe they'll get him. Um, the other question from Stony Rock, Dwayne and Dan talked about this on yesterday's show. Um, tackles playing guard. I don't like it at all. Um, last year, I mean, you know, credit to Paris Johnson for being willing to do it. This was the number one offensive tackle recruit in the country. Five-star kid. He came in. He was playing guard. Thayer Munford, credit to him for moving. Three-year starter at left tackle, moves inside to guard. Uh, I don't want tackles playing guard, though. I want guards playing guard. This year we're going to have Matt Jones as a guard. Donovan Jackson is the other guard. I love that. Now, I guess, you know, sometimes I guess it could work, but, you know, it certainly didn't work last year. Give me guards playing guards. Yeah, last year was a good example of why you can't play four tackles. Uh, it wasn't a coincidence that OSU was better last year. Matt Jones was on the field. That simple. And at the end of the day, the reality is that you cannot have a six foot seven guy leveraging a six foot one mountain of 340 pounds of man and be able to get a push in the trenches easily. There's a reason that most NFL guards are six four and shorter. That's just the truth. All right. There's different requirements for different positions. Tackles need to be longer wingspans. They need to be able to protect the outside. They got to be larger guys. But in the middle, there's a certain height where you're getting leveraged, and if, I'm going to go very basic here so people understand, so please forgive me, but leverage is won by who gets lower. At any sport where there's any physicality, if you're the lower one driving somebody upward, you have the base and you have the strength. And if you're six foot seven, it's really hard to do. I'm sure it's a great lesson for Paris Johnson. He's going to be a better running, blocking tackle this year after being at guard inside. But get me Matt Jones in the field. Get me Donovan Jackson on the field. You know, before Harry Miller's retirement, I would have said get him on the field too. Get the interior guys on the field in the interior. This is the opposite, though, of what we talked to. Remember back in the Bowman days, Dave, where we were like, I don't want to remember those days. But I remember thinking, why is Jim Cordell playing tackle? He's a center. <laughs> like, like, that kind of idiocy. They're different positions. You have to have different skill sets for different positions, period. And I think that OSU learned it the opposite way this past year. You, you can always slide a tackle down in a pinch, but it's never a great long-term answer against elite D tackles. And we learned that to our 
our our distraughtness in Ann Arbor last year. And that's something that better be fixed this year. I will say this. I think Justin Fry was a great hire, and I do think he'll fix yep. that. You know, and yep. I, I've talked a ton about Jim Knowles. I think Jim Knowles was a grand slam home run hire. Um, and I don't think we can talk enough about that. I think that was a great hire. But we're probably not talking enough about Justin Fry, uh, a guy that was not only the, uh, a really good O-line coach at UCLA or has worked with Ryan Day before, so they know each other very well. And I don't think it's friends and family type thing. I think Ryan Day just highly respects him as one of the top O-line coaches in the nation. And he was the offensive coordinator at UCLA. And, yeah, I know Chip Kelly was the offensive coordinator. It's like being the offensive coordinator at Ohio State. You know, Ryan Day's the real offensive coordinator. But still, um, I think Justin Fry was an absolute home run hire, and I think he is going to help this offensive line be, you know, the one thing missing from last year's offense was short yardage, being able to run the ball when they needed to and get that one or two yards when they really needed to on third and fourth down. And I think they're going to be much better at that this year. All right, three more questions to get to. Nate 10 wants to know, Bax, how many early entry guys are the Buckeyes going to have next year? You know, he thinks there's going to be three. He's saying C.J. Stroud. I think that's obvious. Jackson Smith and Jigma, that's obvious. And then he's saying Paris Johnson. He thinks those will be the only three that leave early. Do you agree that those three will leave early? And do you think there'll be anybody else that will leave early? Well, I think those three are a given. That, 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 that to me, assuming that there's not a complete catastrophe this season, those three are a given. Uh, after watching Olave and Wilson run under four fours, they're both going to be first rounders this year. And then JSN had just came off one of the greatest games in receiver history. He's a first rounder. Stroud's in the mix to be the number one overall pick. If he has another big year, he's in the top five. And then I think Paris Johnson, look, he's not going to stick around any longer than he has to. I think it's been the understanding with him from the start is that he's on a, a rocket ship to the league, and that, it's that simple. I think it's going to be interesting to see, though, how much of an impact Knowles can have on the defense to decide whether any of these other guys are going to be able to go pro early. That simple. Uh, it, it's a year where the guys that are your young stars on the D-line, your Ty Leakes, your JTT, your Jack Sawyer, in two years those guys are early entry. Does that count? But, you know, not now. <laughs> They're not allowed to go yet. And th there's a gap between them and the senior, junior, upper-class group that's going to fill out the rest of the line. I don't see any of the other guys on the line being the early entry types at that point. Uh, and then your linebackers have a lot of room to grow and improve. Uh, I would dearly love Steel Chambers to have the kind of year where we go, hey, that guy's got – because he has two more years of eligibility left, I believe. That would be really – if he had the kind of year – that where we're talking about him as an early entry, Darren Lee type, that would be amazing, but I don't see it yet. And then the, the, the defensive backfield, look, Denzel, or, I almost said Denzel Ward, <laughs> Denzel Burke. <laughs> we call him the same guy practically, but I, I, he, there's another guy in two years we can talk about early entry, but not this year. So three is the obvious number. Whether there's another one is entirely dependent on the Knowles effect, in my opinion. All right, next question comes from Degish. He wants to know, which teams would we most and least like to see the Buckeyes play in the college football playoff? The one he wants to see the most is Texas. The one he wants to see the least is Clemson. Not because he's afraid of Clemson, because he says Ohio State always plays Clemson in the playoffs. Is there a team you really want to see the Buckeyes play if they make the playoffs and a team you would not want them to see playbacks? 
Well, I assume we're just talking about the fun factor, the entertainment factor, not the matchup factor, which I was sitting here thinking, man, how do we know matchups already? But uh, I think that the, uh, the reality is I would desperately love to see Texas at this point just because of not just what's been going on down there, but with the Herman stuff and the NIL stuff. I think a really fun one that we haven't seen uh, in a very, very long time, and certainly not in a setting where it really matters, would be Georgia. Uh, you know, they're, they're one of those classic heart of the South programs that I, I still doubt that they have full respect for what Ohio State is. Um, I would love, I would really like to see Georgia, Ohio State in a playoff game at some point. And my third one that I want to see is I want to see USC, man. USC is eventually going to be one of those guys who I think is going to dominate the West Coast. Lincoln Riley already dominated the Big 12. He got the heck out of Dodge as quick as he could. The Oklahoma fans are still salty about it. But the reality is with, with Mario Cristobal leaving Oregon, USC is quickly going to be the dominant program in a year or two out there. So that's the third one for me, Texas, USC, and Georgia. But I'm picking big names here because what do those do? Brings big attention. They're big-time fun games. And – yeah, I, I just I think that would be a lot of fun to see those three programs in a playoff game. But you know what the reality is? We can play Boise State as long as OSU wins. I'll be happy. You ready to finish with? I'm not even joking. You ready to finish with the question on Russia and Ukraine? That's our oh, final I gotta question. Oh, I got to put my serious hat on. All right, let's do that. Yeah, yeah. Fox R2001, a longtime subscriber. Fox R2001. He says, if Bax was president, what would he do about Putin's invasion of Ukraine? President Bax. Dave, I lost the whole. You you got hacked by the the Russian hackers, and all I heard was Bax is president of Russia. And well, I'm coming to you from my bunker in Moscow. You're now you're now they've overthrown Putin, and you're now the president of Russia. Is the question? No. If you're the president of the United States of America right now, what would you do about Putin's invasion of Ukraine? So, this is a tough one because. The, this isn't, you know, we could talk about what could have happened up to this point, but now that we are where we are, I think the heavy sanctions that have been placed by the United States government are having a significant impact on the Russian economy. They are, if nothing else, they are, they create four things, gas, oil, weapons, and hockey players. They can't export two of those now. Those are the biggest things that run their economy. And if you watch what's happening, they are absolutely bogging down. And if you're a student of the history of the invasions of Russia in the past by Napoleon and Hitler, you'd know that they've ignored all the lessons they learned in defending, and it's costing them on the offensive. I think if you're the United States of America, you need to make sure that President Zelensky is getting everything he needs in terms of manpower and material, uh, in terms of things like fighter jets, continuing to send them things like Javelin and Stinger missiles. The reality is Russia's losing right now. And... They're, 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 they've lost anywhere between ten and 15,000 men, and that doesn't include casualties. This is bleeding Russia dry. What we really need to be doing more than anything else is creating Russian language, alternative media information to be able to get the truth to the Russian people, who I genuinely believe don't want this war. There's 144 million people in Russia, and I think 143,900,000 of them had no interest in this war. So I think the United States continues to need to back Ukraine, they need to back the freedom of democracy. They need to back the European nations as part of our NATO alliance. And they need to maximize pressure upon Putin economically. And they need to maximize pressure upon him in terms of supporting Ukraine for Russia to lose this war. 
And that includes things like information warfare. That lady who showed up on Russian state TV protesting cannot be the only one. We need to openly support Alexei Navalny, who Putin poisoned and put in prison. And we need to get back to supporting freedom and peace through strength and supporting democracy and the right to free speech everywhere. We've kind of gotten lost getting into all these little pissing matches at home the last 20 years. We've gotten stuck in our ways of being past the Cold War. Well, the rest of the world hasn't moved on, certainly not Vladimir Putin. So I think resolve strength and backing the support and freedom of democracy is really where we need to get back to as a country. And part of that comes back to stop fighting each other about stupid crap here on the home front. So there's a lot that goes into that, and it's a serious question. And by the way, another thing is every single Western asset that's been frozen by all the Western nations once this war is over, and when it ends, it's going to end with a ceasefire, not with a Russian victory at this point to me. All those frozen assets need to go into a fund where everything's sold off to go towards the rebuilding of Ukraine on Russia's dime. Consider it modern reparations. So I hope that's a reasonable enough answer for whoever asked that. Thanks for a very important question. And if, if people are asking, why does Ukraine matter to us? Well, go look at the gas station. But more importantly, the fact that we have the right to talk about our freedoms and have for 250 years is what they're fighting for right now. And that's a commendable thing. That's a basic human right thing. Uh, and Slavi Ukraini, that's all I got to say. Stand with the people of Ukraine. I know you're missing your Russian vodka, but I commend you for giving that up. I think that's you're, you're doing your part, your little part there, Bax. Yeah, no more Russian vodka for me. I know Tito from Austin, Texas. America vodka is better anyways. There you go. There you go. Uh, didn't think we uh, would finish the show or at any point in the show talk about Russia and Ukraine. But there you go. You never know what you're going to get here on the Bucknuts Morning 5. Great stuff from Bax. Thank you to all the listeners out there for tuning in the show. If you like the show, like, subscribe, leave us a five-star review, all that good stuff. It really helps. Again, thanks to Bax. Thanks to all of you for tuning in. We really appreciate it. Hope everyone has. A great day. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.